Hi, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. This week, we are continuing our journey through the Gospel of John as we come to John chapter 9, in which Jesus heals a blind man. Our hope is that you are joining us along this journey by listening to the sermons that we preach, as well as reading the chapters that we are preaching upon. In order to help with that, you will find all of the sermons to date on our website at ccgf.org sermons, as well as on our Christchurch app, which is available on Android and iOS devices. Additionally, on both the website and the app, you will find full chapters of the Gospel of John, one for each week that we've been preaching upon. Now, here is our senior pastor, the Reverend Dr. Jared Ott, preaching from John chapter 9. Thank you for listening. Good morning, church. Pretty cool video. To be able to have someone who actually is blind read that from the King James. Powerful. I want to thank our tech team and our videographer for putting that together this morning. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for today. I thank you for the music that we just sang here. Lord, that we can sing with our whole hearts. Praises to you because of what you've done for us. And Father, thank you for what you teach us in your word. You do teach us so much. I pray that you speak to us now, Father. I pray that you use my lips, use my heart, Father, and that you impress upon us the message you want us to hear. I thank you for this, this encounter with this blind man and what it teaches us. And I pray as we leave this place, we aren't just hearers of the word, but we'll be doers of it as well. And I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, you know that uh, we've been in a series called That You May Believe, and we've been going through the Gospel of John, and I hope you're following along with us, reading along with us. There's a lot in the Gospel. There's a lot in, this, in, in the Gospels that we don't even touch on. Today, I'm going to actually help you out a little bit, because we're going to kind of go through more of John 9, almost the whole chapter, a little bit, uh, here, because you have to understand, when we come to this blind man, we come to this narrative, a lot of times we stop at verse 12, and that's it. But there's so much more to this man than... Than just verse 12. You know, I think about this guy, what, what excitement this guy must have felt being healed, being blind and now seeing. I know, some of you know that my eyes are terrible. My, I, I have horrible eyes. I thank God for contacts and glasses, but uh, I want to blame my parents, not because of the sin, but because they have to deal with it as well. But my, my brother and sister, we all have terrible eyes. In fact, my family knows if I don't have my glasses or contacts in, I can't see any. I'm not good for anything. And uh, right next to my bed is my glasses. That's the first thing I put on uh, in the morning. Well, I don't know if God was speaking to me last night about needing to see, but uh, Two o'clock in the morning was kind of a rude awakening this past, uh, last night. My son uh, has a tendency to sleepwalk. We know this. Uh, my wife and I are fully aware of this. Uh, but this, last night was a little different. Uh, it was a little rougher. Uh, my son gra- uh, woke up around two o'clock in the morning and grabbed all his blankets off his bed. Okay? And he does weird things like this. But he grabbed all his blankets and ran into our room and burst open the door. And had his hands over his head with his blanket draped over him. And he yells, hey! Well, if that doesn't get you out of bed, church, I, I, I don't know what will. Well, for me, I, 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 you know, I get startled. So I, my arms go flailing. And I, and I slap my glasses and they go flying across the room. And so here I am. I look in the doorway. And it's all blurry. And it's dark, and it looks like a 300-pound man because his hands are up and this blanket is there. So I, I can't see. So I did what any loving husband would do. I turned to my wife. I woke her up. I said, Deb, there's somebody at the door. You need to go check it out. 
Let me know what I can do. <laughs> but I think how great it would be to not have to worry about contacts or glasses anymore. This guy, after being blind all his life, could now see. And we think that the healing came really from his sight. But as we look through the passage, we find that it's a little more than that. It's a little more than that. So this guy's got a problem, first and foremost. We see the problem. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. We're in, in John chapter 9. It's in your service sheets as well. Verse 1. Verse 1 says, as he went along, he, he saw a man blind from birth. Now, we don't know how people knew that he was blind from birth. Uh, maybe he'd just been around and people just kind of knew who he was. I don't know. But I do know this. This is the one and only time that it's specific that Jesus heals somebody with a congenital condition. Let me say that again. It's the one and only time that's specific in the scriptures that Jesus healed somebody with a condition from birth. And this is huge. I'm so glad that he does because a lot of us deal with issues from birth that we have and we wonder, why do we have them? Why do we have this issue in our life? And we don't know much else about this man, but we know that Jesus tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. We know that that's in Jerusalem, so we figure he's probably in Jerusalem that he's there. And he's probably at the temple, because that's where blind people would be. Because you would be there to want to beg for food or something uh, when people are coming into the temple. Most, more likely people were, were willing to give you something there at the temple. So we know what's happening right there in, the, right there in Jerusalem, this guy. Born blind. And the disciples have a reaction that some of us have. And we think it's because it's sin. But God says it's for something else. Here's the purpose. Look at verse 2. It says, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? For those, before we go on, before those of us who are dealing with conditions in life, one of the things that we're going to find from this passage is not to, not to blame ourselves. A lot of us think, man, God must be punishing me for something. I must have done something terribly wrong. Or we look at others and go, man, they must have really messed up. And Jesus gives a powerful response. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But this happened so the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when, when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. You see, the disciples are thinking, okay, there must have been something wrong. We think, okay, there must be something wrong with me that I have this, this condition in my life. Maybe I sin, maybe it's my parents' sin. Some of us have heard of the, the term generational curse, that what my parents did results now that I have, I, they sin, so I have this issue in my life, and we've got to break this curse. I've got to say this. It is true that all suffering is a result of sin in some kind. Adam sinned way back at the Garden of Eden. So we know that there's disease. We know that there's issues. We know there's health concerns. We know that there's problems in life. We also see through Scripture that Jesus does uh, punish people oftentimes for sin. It's not going to be on the screen, but I, you think of Miriam. Miriam was in the Old Testament, and it says that she was stricken with leprosy because she didn't respect Moses. People from all... all Throughout the scriptures from time to time. In fact, a few weeks ago, if you were here, Ed Glover was talking about John 5. About the guy who went and washed in the pool of Bethsaida. And he's, Jesus says, uh, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. 
Paul tells the Corinthian church in uh, 1 Corinthians 11, he says, For those that eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many of you are weak and sick, a number of you have fallen asleep. So there are times when, that, when sin results in some kind of issue. We see that, uh, we could see that naturally as well. You see, look at babies whose uh, mom during pregnancy were drinking or using drugs. These babies have issues, have conditions that they're, that they're plagued with for the rest of their life. We see people who, who aren't eating right or doing bad things to their body obviously have issues in life, problems in life. We see that when people have uh, plagued with worry and anxiety, it leads to depression. We see that. We see the results of sin leads to conditions in life. But from this passage... From this very thing, if we didn't have this passage, we would always think that everything, every problem in life is always the direct result of sin. And Jesus says, no, it's so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Works of God might be displayed in him. It says, neither this man or this woman sinned, so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Let me ask you a question. Who wants to be blind for God's glory? Would you want to be blind for God's glory? If you were blind and you knew it was for God's glory, would that make it better or worse? I remember uh, sitting with a, uh, a young mother many years ago in my office who, who came in. Her husband had just left her. She, nothing, she had no signs of anything going wrong, thought everything was going well. Her kids were in the outside of the, the office, and she came in. My husband just left, she said. He just abandoned me. And so then she went into this whole rant about, God must be punishing me. There must be some sin in my life. What is it? And I remember thinking, well, I'm going to offer some kind of encouragement here and say, it has nothing to do with sin. I pointed to this passage. It has everything to do with God's work might be displayed in your life. And she looked at me, and her, anger, her, her uh, tears turned to frustration. And she said, are you telling me that God put me in this situation? It went from sadness to anger immediately because now she's mad. And then she said, oh, so you're telling me it's God's fault. What's worse, church? Let me ask you what's tougher. The condition or knowing that God might have put it there. For her, so frustrated. But you have to understand it had nothing to do with her sin. It had nothing to do with this man's sin. And it isn't always the direct result of our own sin. Ezekiel 18 says this very clearly. The one who sins will die. The child will not share the guilt of his parents, nor nor the parents share the guilt of their child. The righteous of the righteous will be credited to them, it says. And the wickedness of the wicked will be charged to them. So Ezekiel says, listen, it has nothing to do with, with your parents. Your sin is your sin. Your parents' sin is your parents' sin. The one who sins will die. The child will not share the guilt. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He says, listen, this, this exposes that everything in life, when we have problems that is the result of, our own, of sin, Jesus says, no, it's so that God's works might be displayed in him. He says, then he says to him, I am the light of the world. I am in the world. I'm the light of the world. You see, the disciples are so focused on this guy's condition. Jesus was saying, listen, it has nothing to do with his condition. I came to heal spiritually, not just physically. Because people walk around with no hope. They walk around in this darkness and they think, is there got to be any hope here? 
And Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. I am that hope. I came to save. That's why we call the series that you may believe. All these miracles, all these encounters are really just a testament to who Jesus was. That he was the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And that he came as a perfect man to die in our place. Because we all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. So that we may believe. And I think... This man got it, didn't he? Because not only does he have a problem, not only does he shows the purpose, but then we see God's power revealed. We see the power. Look at verse 6. It says, after saying this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with saliva and put on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So this man went and washed and came back seeing. Now, a lot of people make a big deal about the mud. Somebody said, why did he use mud? Well, I'll give you three reasons. One's implicit, two are implied. The first one is, we understand, if you have your Bibles, you look at verse 14, we understand that this was the Sabbath day. Okay, this was the Sabbath. It was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So we understand that the Sabbath day was a holy day in the Jewish people. You were not allowed to work on the Sabbath. Now, we think of work, we think of going to work. They weren't allowed to do even menial tasks. In fact, still to this day... Not allowed to work. I'm taking 50 people to Israel next month. And I told them uh, that on Saturday, on the Sabbath, do not get on the wrong elevator. Because in Jerusalem, you're not even allowed to push buttons. Uh, The Jewish people aren't even allowed to work and push buttons. So you get on the elevator and they're all lit up. It's like a Christmas tree and it stops at every floor on the way up. And so you don't want to get on the wrong elevator. You want to get on the elevator that's for non-Jewish people so that you can go to the floor you want to go to. So you don't take an hour and a half to get to your own floor. But it's still like that today. You can't work. And the Greek word for mud here is also the word for dough. You weren't allowed to knead dough either. And so Jesus is breaking the rules of the Sabbath. He's saying, listen, it has nothing to do with following the rules, going to church, observing the law, that that's what's going to make you good. He's saying, listen, I'm going to heal because that's why I've come. That's why I've come. And you think about this man who's out there begging. He's got to beg, I'm sure, on Saturday. Wouldn't it be great healing? Wouldn't it be great rest for this man on the Sabbath not to have to do that? So Jesus is breaking all kinds of boundaries and barriers. The second reason for the mud is implied. You think Jesus could have just said, you're healed. He did that from time to time. You're healed. You're healed. You're healed. He told Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. He asked the crippled man, you want to be healed? Yes, you're healed. This but, he uses mud. Jesus often uses physical things around him, didn't he? He uses physical things around him to bless and encourage other people. He used Moses' staff to divide the sea, didn't he? He used the jawbone of Sam- with Samson to kill all those people. He often uses people to touch other people. He used the donkey of Balaam started talking to him. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. He used Philip to bless the Ethiopian eunuch. I was thinking about this the other day when Saul... When, you remember the story of Saul, who's now Paul. Saul was blinded in Damascus. And he has to go to a house. Well, who does, God, who does God call next? He calls Ananias. He says, Ananias, go to Saul's house, put your hands on him, heal him, and then he can go out. God used Paul to touch the world, but he first used Ananias to touch Paul. God uses people in our lives to encourage us, to bless us in our life, doesn't he? I've had people pastors and leaders come into my life and encourage me from time to time. God uses people. God uses things. Maybe he wants to use you as you're in your family, with your friends, in your workplaces, in your schools. Maybe he wants to use you as well. Thirdly, I look at the mud as an example from Adam. 
How did God make Adam? From the dust of the ground. God is the author and healer of all, isn't he? So we go to him. So he uses mud and then he puts it on the man's face and the man goes and washes and he comes back seeing. I love when it says in verse 7, it says, so the man went and washed and he came home seeing. I would think if I was blind from birth, I'm not just coming home, I'm, I'm running back. When you think like, I, I'm pretty excited about this. I've never been able to see. I'm going to sprint back and tell everybody that I can come in contact with. He's got to be really excited about this fact. Blind from birth, now he can see. He's got to be full of joy. This guy's got to be thrilled. And herein lies the problem, because all the people around him weren't. This guy's thrilled. He comes back, and the people weren't. Look at verse 8. When it comes to the people. It says his neighbors, and those who had formerly seen him begging said, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he insisted, I am the man. So his neighbors are going, no, that's, no that, you're not even the same guy. And then what this is in your text, but we'll go on. We go on to uh, uh, verse uh, 15. It says, then there's the Pharisees also asked him, how, how has he received sight? He put mud in my eyes, he said. And I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he doesn't keep the Sabbath. Others asked, how can a sinner perform such signs? So they're divided. So he comes back looking for a celebration, I'm sure. And his neighbors and Pharisees are going, uh-uh. Can't be true. So you think, okay, well, there's no applause there. There's no excitement. Maybe from his parents. His parents got to be excited, right? His parents got to be elated that this, their own son, whom I'm sure they cared for, really, really uh, are excited and I want to celebrate with him. And the parents' response is even worse. Look at verse 18. It says, they still did not believe that he'd been blind and received sight. So they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one who you say was born blind? How is it that he can see? We know he's our son, the parents answered. We know he was born blind, but how he can see or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him. He's of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. So this guy comes back, probably elated, excited, and nobody wants anything to do with him now. Everybody's coming up with all kinds of things. The neighbors didn't see the man. They saw a novelty. The church leaders didn't see him. They saw a technicality. The parents didn't see him. They saw a social difficulty. Let me ask you, who was more blind that day? The people or the man? The man comes back. He's got to be excited. And nobody wants anything to do with him because of his relationship with Jesus. Some of us deal with this every single day. We have family members that don't want anything to do with us because we know Jesus. Our friends at school don't want anything to do with us because that person knows Jesus. People in our workplaces, we don't want to say anything about Jesus. We don't want to ever confront anybody that they're living unbiblical. We don't want to do that. Why? Because we'll be the outcast. We'll be the outcast in society. They're going to put us out. We'll be the outcast forever. This man was dealing with that. Maybe you're dealing with that. Maybe you're dealing with that. Maybe you think... I'm all alone right now because I'm following Jesus and nobody, I've lost family, I've lost friends, I've lost relationships. What do I do? So this guy goes from a problem to now he's in a major predicament. The predicament. 
says, look at verse 34. It says, to this he replied, they were steeped, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. So there he is. Now he's back on the streets of Jerusalem. Born blind, only to be healed, healed only to be kicked out, kicked out. Now he's left alone. How would that feel? You go from the peak one day to the valley in the same day. Some of you have been there where things are great one day at work. You come home and things are a disaster. You go from one great thing to one tragedy. This guy went from a problem to a predicament. Because now he's not only kicked out. He can't come, even, uh, he can't come around his family, his friends, the Pharisees. Can't go to the synagogue because now he's a social outcast. But now he can't beg either because he can see. So this guy goes from a problem to a predicament. It wasn't the fact that he was healed. Because his situation could have actually gotten worse. You say, boy, this guy's got a, <laughs> been dealt a pretty tough hand. This guy goes from one problem to another. We know people like that, don't we? We know people who go from one problem to another in life. Maybe that's you. You're, you're, you don't have to raise your hand. But some of you feel like you're going through one problem to another, to another, to another. I know... Families in a church, moms who, mom who's trying to raise four kids, five kids on her own. Four from one husband, one's from another. And the one that's from the other is now in jail because he went and robbed her. She left, moved to another place, tried to get a new job, lost that job. So now she doesn't have a place to live. One problem to another. I know people that go from one medical problem to another. Your, your, your medical book is like a phone book. We've been there in the hospital where you're going in for a hospital and then they find something out. I saw, knew of a man just a, a month or so ago, went in for one problem. And they, when they went in to, find, to deal with this one problem, they found out he had another problem. And then when they went to deal with that, they realized he had cancer. Three things all in like two days' time. One problem to another. Some of you deal with one problem to another. Can't get a job or uh, you lost your spouse and now you can't work. One problem to another. Yesterday, I had to do one of the hardest things you have to do as a pastor is I was called to do a funeral for a suicide. Suicide, 47 years old. What do you say to that? This guy lived a great life, and we celebrated his life. But at the end, obviously, he was plagued with problem after problem. Not his own doing, but just one issue after another until he realized he just couldn't handle it anymore. He couldn't handle it anymore. So he took his own life. I think, man, this, that guy's got dealt a pretty bad hand. What do you do? This, this blind guy goes from one problem to now a predicament. And now he's outcast. And you wonder, what, what's he going to do now? He, he was healed. You, you got to think that he's pretty excited. But he comes back and nobody cares. Everybody puts him out. Now he's all alone. What do you do? What do you do when your situation doesn't necessarily change for the better? What do you do? You do what this guy does. Because not only is there a problem and a predicament, but then comes the praise. See, he doesn't volunteer for the disease, nor does he volunteer for the deliverance. But he responds to Jesus in a way that's so powerful. And Jesus responds to him in a way that's so powerful. It says in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking to you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. 
I would think that when two things there. First off, isn't it wonderful that Jesus comes and seeks us out, even though things haven't gotten better? Isn't it great that Jesus knows the pain that you feel, and he comes to us in our time of need? Isn't it great that even though our situation may not have changed, that Jesus shows up and is right there and says, I'm, I'm here for you. Isn't that wonderful to know that our situation may not change, our circumstances may not change, but Jesus knows and loves us and cares so much that he comes to us, comes to our time of need. And we can walk out changed. I think of the shepherds. Remember the shepherds when the shepherds went and visited Jesus in the manger? The shepherds were outcasts of society too. They visited Jesus in the manger and went back to being shepherds, outcasts of society. Their situation didn't change, but I bet you their life did. And I bet you this man did too because he realized, hey, it has nothing to do with my situation. My situation may not change, but my, my, my whole life will because I understand who Jesus was. He's the light of the world. He's the Savior. He comes all-powerful, all-knowing, and, and he came to die for me so that I can live. That's where the hope comes. The hope comes not in this life, but where we can go beyond this life. That no matter what problems we have in life, we can say, you know what, I can be with forever in heaven with Jesus because I know him. I've confessed my sin to him. I have a relationship with him, and he's the Lord of my life. That's what gets us through. And this man, I wonder if he, when Jesus came and showed up because he loves him, did he like clench his fist at Jesus? Did he start yelling at him? Did he get frustrated with him? No, what he does is he bows down. He says, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful no matter what situation that we're in that we can worship our heavenly father? Isn't it wonderful no matter what problems we have that we can look at him for God's own glory? It's so wonderful. As the music team comes and prepares us for our last song, I, I leave you with this. I, you know, I, when, I, when I get to heaven, I do want to ask this gentleman, if I see him, uh, when did it hit you? I mean, when did it really sink in? Did it sink in when you, became, when you got healed? I bet he'll say, no. The healing was one thing. It sank in when Jesus came and found me out and I realized who he was. I could look at him face to face and say, he's my Lord and Savior. That's when it hit me. That's when it sunk in. Because notice in the passage, when we read this narrative, that's where it ends. It never says Jesus restored him. never says it restored him to society. never said that he, he reinstated him back into society or with his family or his parents. In fact, we're left to believe this guy was an outcast for the rest of his life. His situation didn't ever change. may never have gotten any better, but he still worshiped God because of who he was. That's, that's what changed him. It wasn't the physical healing. A lot of people go, I'm healed. God changed my situation. It's great. And then once something else gets bad in life, that's when they fall away. That's what we talk about the weeds when the seed falls on the thorny soil. When it gets good, it's okay. But as soon as it gets bad again, we go, I'm going to fall away. This guy is a true testament to say, hey, listen, it's not about your physical situation. It's not about God changing what happens. It's all about who he was, that he comes after us. He loves us. And that's why he's here. That's where the change comes. That's why I think he'll say, no, it wasn't when I got healed. It's when Jesus came and found me. So what's the point? The point is this. As we already said, sin doesn't have, does have consequences, but not all problems are the result of our particular sins. Sin does have some consequences, but not all problems are a result of particular sin. So if you're walking around blaming God or blaming yourself, stop. You got to stop. Because we also know that our problems can bring glory to God, can't they? 
When I visit people in the hospital and they're laying there and they go, hey, you know, a doctor just came in and told me 10 things of bad news. They go, I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm ever going to get out of here. You know what I say? I say, you know what? It doesn't matter whether or not you get out of here. It, what matters is, is that you recognize that what you're dealing with, God can use for his kingdom. And when somebody comes in, that nurse, that doctor, you be a light for them. That's what you do. Because that's how God's work is displayed in the problems of our life. When you're going through a tough time and you, people are looking at you go, man, they, they've, they've lost everything. But look how happy they are. Look how much hope they have. What does that say to people around you? It says, wow, they must have a hope and a faith that's a lot stronger than mine. I would like to have that. I would like to be able to go through what they go through just to have that same peace knowing that God's in control. Our problems can bring glory to him. And finally, we've got to understand that the Lord also heals us spiritually, doesn't he? He comes not to just change our physical situation. He comes because he loves us. He wants to have a relationship with us. That's why he died. And all he wants us to do is believe in him, confess our sin, need for a savior, so that we can be forever with him in heaven. This man went from one situation to another, from bad to worse, but yet he still was able to praise God. Jesus came for that blind man. It's the same Jesus that's coming for you, too. That same Jesus that touched that man's face is going to touch your face as well. That same face that that blind man saw, it's the same face we can see every day. No matter what the circumstances is, no matter what's going on, we can actually get down and we can praise God for what's going on, Cameron. And that's what changes our life. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. Thank you for the fact that you teach us so mightily in your word about what it means, why you came. That you heal us, not just physically, but spiritually. And that is why we believe. Lord Jesus, I ask that you be with those that are in this room who may have never seen you, who may have feel lost or alone and seeking some kind of light, Lord, that they look to you and they, they seek you out as Lord and Savior. And if that's you, it's as simple as praying a prayer, saying, Dear Lord Jesus, I ask that you, you come into my life and wipe me clean. Forgive me my sin. Forgive me. I want you to heal me, not physically, but spiritually, because I want to have a relationship with you now and when I die in heaven. Jesus, thank you for saving us. Thank you that no matter what problems we go through, whether they're problems or predicaments or bigger issues in life, that we can come and worship you because you're in control. And we have a relationship with you. And that's what gives us peace. That's what gives us hope. We give you all the praise and glory. We ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.